Hey, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Matt and Cheryl's Gen Excellent playlist. I'm Matt. I'm Cheryl. And joining us for a second consecutive show, uh, unprecedented around these parts, Cheryl's husband, Mike, because we just didn't have time on our last show to dig all the information we needed out of Mike. So we've hauled him back out for more. And the reason we've got Mike here is uh, before we proceed on to the next year in our uh, journey through our uh, Gen X uh, Musical Lives 1981, we want to talk about our favorite music from this past year, 2023, since the calendar just turned. And Mike, I think of the three of us way more clued in to uh, new music. I, I've probably listened to, I don't know, a dozen, maybe 12 to 15 new albums at this point, And several of those, just one or two listens. But, I, you know, I've got my favorite. Cheryl's going to talk about her favorites, kind of focusing on her uh, area of expertise, prog rock. I've got a few. I've got a few. Yeah. you got a yeah. few. you got a few. Um <laughs> We'll start with Mike. So Mike and Cheryl, of course, the proprietors of Silver Platters uh, chain of record stores in the Puget Sound area. Mike, traditionally at your platter stores, your staff compiles lists of favorites at the end of the year. So you get a lot of input there. What turned your head? What pricked your ears during 2023? Well, I first have to say that 2023 was a year that I was so preoccupied with several different things that I didn't really get to listen to a lot of stuff. Most of my listening to current music is that we have a playlist that we play in the store of basically the the last week's new releases. Stuff you're trying to sell. Yes. And turn people on to. And it runs the gamut from every different genre and usually every week there's at least three or four tracks where I find myself going and, and, oh, who is this? And then listening to the full album. I used to do the playlist all myself up until a few years ago. And now that job's been taken over by a couple other people. So that further disjoints me from knowing what new music is coming out. But I really felt disconnected this year. And by the end of the year, when I was being asked, what are some of your favorites? Because we usually do a year end and the beginning part of the next year are favorites because there's very few new releases in December and early January. I really couldn't come up with much. And when I knew we were doing this show, I started looking back through the releases of this last year, and I feel very inadequate. <laughs> oh, great. You're supposed to be the expert here. As inadequate as you feel, you're going to trump the two of us, I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> One thing that stood out for me, and I, I don't know if it's me or if it's just where music is going and the creative juices in music today. But I didn't go back and listen to our year-end show of last year. But if I remember correctly, I commented at that time how many female artists were in my best of for 2022. Yeah, I remember that. And that's just continued. Yeah, and that has continued. Yeah. And I don't have a favorite album of the year. I would say that the album that interested me the most and I listened to the most 
was Kara Jackson's Why Does the Earth Give Us People to Love? This one I do not know. It was interesting because it was one of those that four of the songs were playing on the playlist. And every day I'd hear these songs. I was like, who is this person? It sounds like a male artist from the early island years, singer-songwriter, playing guitar. Two of the songs sounded very male in vocal range. To clarify, you're referring to the island record label, right? Yeah, the island record label. So like the, the pink label years for record collectors. Yes. Yeah, the years with Nick Drake and Fairport Convention and Traffic. Right. right. The album has a lot of production that really seems to be that type of production. She was the poet laureate. And so she's a poet, but she's also a singer-songwriter and a really good guitar player. And this album just goes all over the board. And then to watch the videos that go along with it are even more interesting in her artistic process. If you haven't listened to it, you should. It's very interesting. It is very singer-songwriter. Sometimes it gets more contemporary in pop song structures of today, especially the newer kind R&B soul pop structures that have been popping up that are really interesting. So that album was the one I listened to the most. The one I probably liked and listened to the next most was Michelle Indigocello's new album. How do you know she had a new album? Yeah, and it's on Blue Note Records, a famous jazz label, which has been branching out. I think she was on some of Robert Glasper's Blue Note stuff. And I don't know if you've listened to Robert Glasper at all, but jazz um, keyboard player, right? Yeah, yeah, but he tends to it kind of uh, he he goes out and and it's much more than jazz. He's well versed in all sorts of stuff. But Michelle Indigocello, this is her first stuff that is written by her. Her last album was five years ago and it was a covers album, which is a very good album, but it, it was on a small indie label. So a lot of people didn't know about it. Yeah. I haven't followed her since her second record. Yeah. This, this is her first album of her own material in nine years and it covers the gamut. It does have jazz leanings in it. Uh, Jason Moran, who's a great jazz artist is on it with her several other kind of contemporary blue note jazz artists help her with the album but it also has r&b and pop it goes all over the board it has really interesting musical structures in it and it works really well it's a roller coaster ride and that's the kind of music i really like is the music where each song is different and takes you through a journey through the album and the name of her album is the omnicord real book i'm curious now mike this seems to be the current era we're in the last few years kind of a resurgence of interest in jazz music and newer artists are you noticing more sales of newer jazz artists and albums at your stores is that something that's tangible or in a way, yes. And, and and the sad part of it being in a way, yes, is that the ratio of 
jazz and folk and singer-songwriter albums has increased sales-wise. And I don't think it's so much because there's more interest in it. I think that it really is because there's less interest and less viability of sales of big pop artists. You know, back in the day, you know, when there was U2 and Sting and Dire Straits and... Madonna. uh, Yeah, when a new album came out, I'd be ordering thousands of CDs to last us for uh, the first couple months. And now for something that I think is going to be really big, I may be ordering 90, 100. (laughs) Well, I think the lists of artists of that caliber that are going to ship those kind of units on, you know, release day Tuesday or the first couple of weeks is way shorter than it used to be. I mean, you got Taylor Swift. I'm sure you're still ordering bulk copies of whatever she's putting out, but there's just very few other artists of that caliber that are going to shift the kind of physical product. Yeah. But because of that, the jazz genre and folk and country also has been getting a resurgence. It's, It's certainly not like it was with the resurgence of country back in the early 90s, if you can remember that. Garth Brooks era. Shania Twain. Yeah, but it is similar with uh, Zach Bryan and Morgan Wallen, plus older people still releasing stuff like Willie Nelson, still releasing albums. Unfortunately, his newest album isn't on my list of best ofs. But getting back to best ofs, the third album that I found very interesting was once again a female artist, once again, kind of like Michelle Indigocello, someone who's more famous for her first album that came out years ago, but her newest album, Black Rainbows, came out this last year, and that is Corin Bailey Ray. Right, British artist, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, British artist. Although she did this album over here in the States, from what I understand, and in Chicago, kind of absorbing the soul and history of Chicago to use in the album. One thing I didn't know about Corn Bailey Ray, really, was that her first band was a punk band. And you wouldn't ever think of her being a punk artist based on her previous material. But in this album, there are some there are some rockers and they're really good and very interesting and once again it's all over the board as far as styles and moods and tempos but it's a really good album and then the most popular album that's on my top picks is Olivia Rodrigo her album Guts I did like Sour when it came out I thought for Someone in that pop vein, it it had a bite to it and a sensibility and at times kind of a rawness. It wasn't as produced. I, I think of her as like the edgy Taylor Swift. And Guts brings the edginess even more right. to the forefront. Yes. And those edgy songs are the ones that I really like off the album. The ballads and the poppy stuff are good. But it's the songs with the kind of the snarl and the venom and the edginess that I think she does a really good job with. Yeah, it's a real sting there. She's kind of drawing on some 90s alternative sounds on that record, too. Yep. And then the other albums that caught my ear, Depeche Mode, Memento Mori. 
I'm not a huge Depeche Mode fan, although I really thought that they did a, a really good job of coming up with an album that sounded like them but took it to a different level and was new and listenable and something that i really enjoyed that one was on a lot of people's best of lists i noticed yeah it surprised me because there's a lot of 80s bands putting out new albums most of them are just kind of regurgitating the sound or even straight covers of what they did back in the 80s and that's what i was kind of expecting from the Tepesh mode, but it isn't what they put out there. It's something new. And well, and one of the main guys just died, I think, fairly recently. Too. Right, Andy Fletcher. That's that's yeah. that's the title of the yeah. album. It's a reference to his death. Yeah, another seventies, eighties artist that had a new album came out near the end of the year is uh, Peter Gabriel. His album I O. I think that's how you pronounce it. Yeah, it's like I slash O. There's a slash in there, so it's not it's not a reference to the uh what is that, one of the moons of Jupiter, Io or Yeah, I'm I'm not quite sure. <laughs> yeah. I think input output, I think is what that stands for. Yeah. yeah, I think it's supposed to be input output. And kind of going with that input output, there are two versions of the album. There's a bright side mix and a dark side mix. Same songs, but just different mixes. They're both worth listening to. And being the huge nerd I am, one of my fascinations is multi-channel. This one was released and songs composed for multi-channel listening. When I first heard it, I was like, ah, it's, it, it sounds like Peter Gabriel. It's pretty safe. You know, I was like, I don't know how good this album is. But once I started listening to it in multi-channel, it grew on me. And became one of my favorites of the year. Yeah, I can tell that this one is going to be a grower. I've listened to it a few times. I definitely need to spend some more time with it. And then a few others from the year. The Queens of the Stone Age in Times New Roman. Ooh, uh, I haven't gotten to that one yet. It's, it's a good rocker. There's, there's a song where they totally are the Hives. I don't know if you remember the band The Hives. The Garage Rock Revival, yes. Yeah. I guess. They put out a new album this year, but the Queens of the Stone Age outhived the hives <laughs> with one of the songs on their album. Yolo Tango put out an album. They've been around for quite a while, and it's worth a listen. They, they still have it. It is a really good album. Much like that, Wilco put out a new album this year, Cousin. It definitely sounds Wilco, but... Yep, they kind of stretch it a bit. They got Kate Laban in to produce yeah. that album. They they self-produced most of their material before that. Yeah, it's a good album. And then the last one that came out this year that's a new album is The Pretenders Relentless. That's got some really good reviews. I've liked most of the Pretenders albums that have come out. The Chrissy Hind solo stuff I've been iffy about. But this one, some of the snarl, some of the attitude that was kind of lacking, that was there for the early Pretenders albums, comes back in this one. And I think it's one of the best albums they've put out in a while and one of the better albums of 2023. And then I always like to have an archival release 
you know, a reissue. The Who, the really deluxe version of Who's Next Lifehouse with all the added material. But the fifth iteration of that album and project. Yes. <laughs> and they finally cleaned out the vaults. <laughs> Pete will never let it die. Nobody still understands what it's about. <laughs> I know there's a graphic novel that accompanies this. Yes, now, there is. It? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which sheds a little more light on it for us. Yeah, too. And, but the Stephen Wilson mixes for Who's Next are great. These are the multi channel yeah, multi channel remixes. Well, there's also yeah. just straight stereo remixes and there's multi channel and there's a bunch of live material. So a lot of it's been out there in some bootleg form, but it's really cleaned up and I mean there's eight CDs worth of of stuff. It's <laughs> It's even a lot for me. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Ambitious, but I think for those people that love the who and even though it's been done several times over i thought that it was put together really well and well thought out i think i have more versions of who's next than just about any other any other album yeah there are a (laughs) lot of versions but the thing about this box set and he's put out other lifehouse box sets before too but Anything that has Steven Wilson remixing is worth buying, even if you have a million other versions of the album. You're going to hear something new, something you haven't heard before, because he just does such an amazing job. I've yet to go down Steven Wilson Avenue, and part of the problem is we don't have a suitable room to set up a 5.1 system, so I've just never really concerned myself with that. Yeah, you have to have the proper yeah. system set up and you have to sit right in the middle. And that's the other thing that's hard about it is you have to like really make a point to just sit there and listen. Yeah. You can't be walking around doing other stuff. Have, you yeah. know, you have to just sit right there in the middle of the room and listen. And You got to be in the sweet spot. Yeah, which I don't find myself doing that often when I'm listening to music. But when you do take the time to do it, it's worth it. And the thing about the Stephen Wilson remixes too is that pretty much everything that he's taken on is an album I love. A lot of it's prog. And, you know, the fact that he did this, who's next? Like, that's amazing. He picks and chooses and projects that are, yeah, XTC. And so that makes it more worth it for me, too. Well, I'm going to throw a few out there. Uh, Mike, you referenced female artists in jazz. I mean, I've got a couple of examples of uh, the Boy Genius album I thought was really good. That's I'm a semi-super group, Phoebe Bridgers, Julian Baker, and Lucy Dacus. Dacus, not sure yeah. how she pronounces her last name. Listen to the Julie Byrne album for the first time today. It's uh, yep. something I may re- revisit. Jazz-wise, a really, really interesting record was the Kofi Flex album, which is a mix of contemporary jazz artists and kind of underground hip-hop guys. Really cool record. Uh, there's a rapper on there named Billy Woods, who's still rather underground, but really talented guy. Mm-hmm. On the female vein, it's not her project, but the newest uh, New Pornographer's record, I really enjoy. The first reviews I read of it seemed kind of lukewarm, but it's kind of a different vibe to a lot of their previous work. A little more sedate, a little more toned down, kind of a different rhythm to it. But I really enjoyed it quite a bit. Of course, Nico Case is brilliant. You know what it really impresses me about that group? Now, it's Carl Newman who releases solo stuff under AC Newman. They're his songs. And you used to have Dan Behar in the group who has his own project, Destroyer. Now, he's no longer recording with them. I think they've indicated that he may rejoin the fold at some point. The last couple of albums have not had his songs. He's usually had two or three cuts per album, and they're always interesting. 
Uh, so he's no longer there. So it's really all of Carl Newman's compositions. But what really, I've, I, it, it kind of blew me away when I discovered this. I've been into this band for years. I always thought the songs that Nico Case sang lead vocals on, or at least a lot of them, that she was either co-writing or writing. And that's not the case. She's singing his stuff. He's writing for her voice. And if you know her work, and I love her, it really sounds lyrically and like a lot of her solo stuff. So that's very impressive to me. Uh, but I really like that album quite a bit. One of the top reissues of this last year, I felt, was the Nico Case. It's not a reissue, but it's uh, basically a retrospective of her career. Well done and put together really well. Yeah, she's a brilliant artist. Um, so, like I said, I've listened to about 15, 16 new albums, and I've liked most of what I've heard. The new Foo Fighters record, they just, you know, they're just so consistently strong. And like Depeche Mode, they're honoring a fallen bandmate with this new album, Taylor Hawkins, the drummer who died. But another quality piece of work from Dave Grohl and company. Uh, the one that I, I'm going to single out here and pick as my favorite, and I've referenced this artist numerous times on this show, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, their newest album, Weather Veins, outstanding. Now, the last album that he put out was a covers record called Georgia Blue, and he promised back in 2020 that if Joe Biden won the state of Georgia, that he would record an album of all songs written by Georgia songwriters and artists. And he followed through on his promise. That's what Georgia Blue was. It was a covers record. And it was, you know, it was a nice sentiment. But at least the songs that I knew on that record, he didn't improve upon them, any of them that I heard. But he's right back to form with his newest record, Weather Veins. I think it's right up there with his best, uh, which for me would include the Nashville Sound and Southeastern. His prior album before Georgia Blue, Reunions, I didn't put it up there as high as those two albums I just mentioned. But every one of his records has at least one or two songs that are just killers. And he's such a poignant writer. I've called him the new Bruce Springsteen. He's really kind of following in Bruce Springsteen's footsteps as kind of the poet of blue collar, you know, America's working poor and the South in particular. He's an Alabaman. For those who don't know Jason Isbell, he was in a band called Drive-By Truckers, not an original member of that band. They drafted him in well into their career and he debuted on the Decoration Day album. Young artist, this, the first songs that he'd ever recorded and released were on this Drive By Truckers album, and the title track is one of his songs. So obviously they held him in pretty high regard, bring him into the fold, and he only had two cuts on the album, I think three maybe, and one of them was the title track. So that'll tell you something. So that song's on there, an outfit. He was with the Truckers for three albums. They booted him because he was uh, getting a little too involved in the rock and roll lifestyle. It's been very public about his battles with addiction and anxiety and he's long since sobered up but his it has not affected the quality of his work one iota he's still putting out killer music and still writes these songs that just really cut straight to your heart and if i had to pick one track off this album it would be the second cut king of oklahoma which is you know the one criticism i would have of isbel and I think he and Amy Mann are two of the greatest contemporary songwriters. And I think of them very, they're very similar styles thematically, lyrically. They're writing about addiction and codependence, people dealing with that kind of stuff. I would love to see them tour together. 
In fact, I think it would be amazing to see them tour together and have them sing each other's songs. I think yeah, that, would that would be incredible. Would be. You know, I mean, Amy Mann, her musical style is different. But what I was going to say, the, the criticism I would have, and the same with Amy Mann, they tend to have a sameness to their sound. I mean, they're kind of a boilerplate sound. It's yeah. great. It's mm-hmm. great. But they do go to the well pretty frequently. But one of the things I love about Isbell's new record, he's got a great band behind him, the 400 unit. Excellent, excellent band. And they're a killer live act. Do not miss them if they come to your town. I've seen them live a couple of times, two of the best shows I've ever seen. But he's letting the band stretch out a little more on this record and kind of flex their muscle, particularly in the, the latter part of the record, last couple of songs. The last track on it, it's kind of a multi-part epic. Starts out straight 70s crazy horse vibe, and then it shifts gears in the middle and then it kind of returns to that sound. The song before that is one of my favorites on the record. It's a rocker called This Ain't It. A little different sound for him on that, which I appreciated. But King of Oklahoma, if you're into Isbel, it sounds familiar. But again, it's it's a song about a guy, you know, dealing with opiate addiction and the circumstances that put him in that situation and the effects that it's having on his life and his relationships. And uh, he's just such an incredible writer. Not only that, a great musician and vocalist. So Weathervane's another home run for Jason Isbel. I would say that and the new Porns album are the two that I've listened to the most from 2023. Okay. Well, I haven't listened to any of those. (laughs) (laughs) But I have listened to some Prague this year. Of course you have. Once again, just like the last, oh, three or four years, there's been some really great releases. I echo Mike's Peter Gabriel which, like I said, is one that I really want to spend some more time with. And and actually, I didn't realize that there was two releases because I went on, I just went on to Spotify and was listening to The Bright. And now I'm intrigued and I want to go listen to The Dark. Another artist that we mentioned, but not for his own album, was Stephen Wilson. He had an album, a new album out this year too, called The Harmony Codex. And kind of going back to his more... Prague, less kind of electronic pop sound. And also another album I want to spend some more time with, but I just upon a couple listens know that it's it's good. Yes had a new album out this year, Mirror to the Sky. And shockingly, the same thing happened last year too. They had a new album out last year that I was like, there's no way Yes can still be putting out things that I care about or want to listen to. So so who is in Yes at this point? If you talk about a new Yes album, you got to say who is actually in the band at this point in time. And people would even debate that they shouldn't even call themselves Yes anymore (laughs) because the only member is Steve Howe. The only member who was an original or some, not even an original member really, but a a member from the 70s is Steve Howe. He joined on their their third album, but really, I mean, it was the beginning of their their of what run. everybody yeah. most people know yes from. So John Davidson is the singer, and he's actually been the lead singer for quite a while now. I don't even know who the other members are because they're not <laughs> anybody. They've they've rotated keyboardists so many times. They've had at one point Oliver Wakeman, who was uh, Rick Wakeman's son. They had Jeff Downs was back. It might be Jeff Downs who's from the Buggles, and he's been, you know, in and out of Yes over the years. Um, I believe Billy Sherwood, who took over for Chris Squire when he passed away, and he's kind of been in the camp for a long time, too. But 
the album last year, it was good, but this album is actually really goes back more to their traditional 70s prog sound. And it's surprisingly good. I mean, I keep the bar pretty low for yes. So <laughs> if it's even just like halfway decent, it's like, oh, wow, this, you know, I want to get it on vinyl and I want to, this is beyond halfway decent. What's the record that lowered that bar for you? Well, I guess what I should say is that anything in the 90s, from the 90s on. So, so anything after Big, Big Generator? Generator? Yeah, okay. after yeah. Big Generator. And they've had great albums in the 90s and the 2000s and the 2010s in the 2020s. They have. But none of them are at the level of, of what they were when they were in their prime. What was the nadir for Yes? What was the rock the bottom low album? point? Yeah. Well, you know, over the last 30 years, I haven't listened to enough of those albums to really know which one is like the worst, but I would probably say Union, yeah. which is the album that was on paper. It seems like it should be really amazing. And the tour from that album was amazing because it was Steve Howe and Trevor Rabin, Tony Kay and Rick Wakeman, Bill Bruford and Alan White and John Anderson on vocals. So it was basically like all the members of the classic Yes lineup together, but it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it just doesn't work. And and I don't think any of them were happy during that time. And they all realized that it was kind of a money grab because, you know, it was like, let's get yeah. everybody. And this came out, that came out like in the early 90s. So, you know, they've had their high points. They've had their low points. This is definitely above the middle. <laughs> <laughs> and also Trevor Rabin had a solo album that came out this year, Rio, which is really cool. He's the guitarist that came in and sort of revived Yes with 90125 yeah. and, and oh, brought certainly. them into a more modern sound. And he's a South African guitarist and he's a virtuoso. You know, I mean, he really is. And this yeah. album really showcases that. He's got some really cool, just like acoustic tracks on there. There's some prog stuff. There's some more pop stuff. And it's a vocal album. He's had albums out in the last, you know, 10 years, but they're just like all instrumental. And this one is more of a cohesive album. It's really good. And it's also in a limited form. The first issues, there's a 5.1 mix of the album. And of course, it sounds great because everything he does sounds great. He produces his own stuff. So yeah, it sounds amazing. Uh, another band called the Flower Kings who have had like a million albums <laughs> and their lead guitarist, one of the you know main songwriters, singers, his name's Roy Stoltz. He's kind of just all over the place in the prog world. Had albums out with John Anderson from Yes. He's in the supergroup Transatlantic. And the Flower Kings, his band, had an album out this year called Look At You Now. Um, it basically sounds just like all their other albums, but I love them. They're great. They're a symphonic prog, but more like on the pop side too. They're Swedish, which most of my favorite bands, prog bands, are either from Norway or Sweden. They kind of sound like if Pink Floyd had John Anderson from Yes as their musical director, that's kind of how they sound. I definitely gravitate more toward the symphonic prog. I like, you know, the flourishy flutes and the keyboards and the kind of soaring vocals, which is what the Flower Kings fall into that category. And my last two bands, which are my two favorite albums of the year, one is also a band from Norway. They're called, well, it's pronounced Jorgio. It's spelled J-O-R-D-S-J-O. The album is called Saligat and very much symphonic prog. Sounds very 70s. 
the flutes, Hammond B, and, you know, like acoustic guitars thrown in there too, like Yes would have kind of some sort of psychedelic sounding songs. All of their albums are really good. And this one is is no exception. And the, the way I even found this band is from my favorite release of the year, which is a band called The Chronicles of Father Robin. The album is called The Songs and Tales of Area. That doesn't sound prog at all. <laughs> Does it not? I know. It's like, what other style of music would have a band named The Chronicles of Father Robin? And if you saw all the artwork, everything about this is like the <laughs> prog lover's dream come true. I mean, there's like, it's the pinnacle. It's so incredible. They're a Norwegian band. All of the members of the band are parts of other bands, which is probably a good thing because they actually started this project in 1995. That's when the band came together. And they've been working on this trilogy. It's a three-part album, uh, th- a three-part set. So they started recording it in 1997. And it's just like off the charts. It's it's symphonic. It's, you know, every instrument you can imagine is in the mix. And I'm actually really bummed because I didn't find out about this band until about a month or so after they did a crowdfunding program and released it on vinyl. They only made 500 copies and it's got this incredible artwork that's very like, you know, Tolkien, like it's, it's of course what any prog album should look like, <laughs> but it's just this huge box set on color vinyl and they sold all 500 copies like in a minute. So I didn't get a chance to get that, but it's incredible. If anybody who likes 70s prog, when you think of bands like Genesis, yes, Emerson, Lake and Palmer, that's Guilty is charged. right in that <laughs> wheelhouse, right in that wheelhouse. And these, these musicians are amazing, which most prog musicians are. But these guys, they have people from Giorgio are in this band. Also a band called Wobbler that I'm a fan of. Are in, the lead singer is the singer for the Chronicles of Father Robin. So I still am waiting for Mike to tell me that he got this in the CD in because they released one, two, and three separately. Third one hasn't even come out yet on CD, but I just ordered the second, the vinyl for the second. Well, I hope it comes in because I haven't gotten mine yet. (laughs) I'm still waiting. All right. Speaking of wheelhouse, one other issue from 2023, obviously we got to talk about the Beatles reissuing the blue and the red albums with a new track on it. What did you guys think? Did you get excited about it or no? No. No. How excited were you in 1995 when the anthologies came out and they released Free as a Bird? And Well, okay. That I was excited about because I was excited about the anthologies, which is one right. of the most incredible things that's ever happened for a Beatle fan, second to get back. Yeah. But the new songs, I never got excited then and I certainly didn't get excited now. I didn't get excited about them either because it yeah. was like, okay, I... You know, there's it sounds like Jeff Lynn's producing Paul's solo albums, George's solo albums from the 90s. It's like they sound too much like current solo Beatle projects. I don't really know a lot about that song more. Like, I don't really even know how it came about. I know it was a demo that Yoko found, I think. Yeah, that John was working on. And they originally were working on it when Frio's a Bird came out oh that's right during the anthology time they were going to use that song and they recorded it with george harrison 
but the technology of the day didn't allow them to pull out and make it work. Which is actually where Get Back comes into this because they use the same technology they used in Get Back to bring forward the conversation sections that were really buried with like background noise and they were able to... It's AI. AI is now making... AI AI is the fifth beetle. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And because they were able to do that, they unearthed this recording they, they had made back in the anthology days in the 90s with George Harrison's guitar, which I do think it's cool that it has George's guitar on it. But at least for me, the more I listen to it, the more and more it just becomes Jeff Lynne. Although Jeff Lynne isn't mentioned at all on it. He didn't produce this. Or in the videos about the making of it and everything. He really isn't shown, but he was key in that whole production of Free as a Bird and and everything. And I'm not sure whether it's intentional or not, but the whole orchestration that goes on behind this new song and how it's laid out and the production yeah, of it. You're hearing it in George. The more guitar, I listen to I it, it just the first time I said to people at Silver Platters, this sounds like Jeff Lynn, everyone's like, no, it doesn't. But then over the next few days, people were like, it is. It's Jeff Lynn. I can hear Jeff Lynn and ELO all over this thing. But I think it's because that was when they were recording George's guitar. It was with Jeff Lynn. And I mean, it was during that era, too, where everything George did sounded like Jeff Lynn. So I think that's why that comes out so much in there. Yeah. But I agree. I agree. And it makes it sound too modern in that way, too. Well, not modern. I guess, like... <laughs> It sounds very Will Berry-ish. Will traveling Will berry Oh, I was like, who's Will Berry? <laughs> <laughs> Will Berry-ish. Will Berry. Do you have that traveling Will Berry? Will Berry-ish. <laughs> but what surprised me is the amount of young people, including our children, but younger people even coming in the silver platters, they were excited about it. That's what I was going to say, too, is I was shocked by how excited my kids were about it. Both of my kids are texting me, did you know that there's a new Beatles song coming out? Did you listen to the Beatles song? I mean, our son, who's in college, is texting me, telling me how excited he is about it. And I was like, really? This is surprising to me. And same with <laughs> our daughter, too. And she's in high school, her friends. And I didn't realize if it was just them or like Mike just said, other other young people too. But yeah, they were like totally into it. They thought it was a really exciting, cool thing. So that's neat. I like that about it. Like, you know, I think that that's... And they thought it was good. They Yeah. They... Yeah. And it is good. I don't think it's a bad song. I don't... The, the thing I didn't like when they did it the first time is that it felt like those songs really weren't up to par. And that's why they were never actually recorded and released because they really were not that great. This song, it's a better song, I think. Well, what did you think about it? I never listened to it. Oh, you haven't? No. no, no. You obviously weren't that excited about it. <laughs> no, no. Just like I wasn't back in 1995 or 96 or whatever the, the other ones came out. It's, it's not a Beatles song. It's just it's like it's yeah. not. It's a Paul McCartney production. Now, if they dug up, you know, a bunch of outtakes that we never heard before, yeah, I'd get excited about that, but. Yeah, which is what Get Back was really in a sense. And that is exciting. Yeah. No, I watched all of that. I was glued to that for sure. 
Well, I'm glad we're ending this on the Beatles because the Beatles certainly loom large over the next year on our journey through the past. That is Matt and Cheryl's Gen Xler playlist. We will begin our survey of the year 1981 by looking at the aftermath of the murder of John Lennon, which occurred early in December of 1980. Lennon had released his latest album after a five-year absence called Double Fantasy, co-credited to John and wife Yoko Ono, and they alternated tracks on that record. Just Like Starting Over was on our 1980 playlist as one of the big hits of that year. And that album would continue to sell in mass quantities. And uh, two other big singles would be released from that album in 1981. Woman, uh, which was the next single release, one of the bigger hits of that year. And then uh, Watching the Wheels was the third single, all reached the top 10 in the United States. Not only that, but John's Beatle bandmates uh, would have their response to his tragic death and tributes as well, a couple of which came out in the year 1981. We'll talk about all of that when we christen 1981 in our next episode of Matt and Cheryl's Gen Excellent Playlist. But until then, I'm Matt. I'm Cheryl. And I'm Mike. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Take care.